the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, Tonight, we're still talking about COVID, COVID COVID-19. And with us again is um, our very special guest, Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Kevin, thank you as always for joining us. Certainly, Nick. Thank you for having me. Well, we've been having you on regularly, about once every month or two. And uh, since last month, we had you in early March. Uh, what, what's been happening? Uh, we, uh, it seems like nationwide we're going up in uh, the number of cases that are new. Well, it's interesting, Nick. The caseloads are increasing, absolutely. And it's funny, we're kind of going in two directions at the same time. Um, we're, in, we're very encouraged by the fact that, you know, vaccination rates are going up, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But getting to the cases, um, what we've seen since the last time we have spoken is a, I won't call it dramatic because it's not dramatic, but a consistent increase in cases. Uh, and unfortunately, we have also seen fatalities rise a little bit as well. Um, and what we're seeing this attributed to, um, based on, a, on uh, what we heard at the governor's press conference yesterday, uh, if anybody was watching, uh, they saw the uh, Ohio Department of Health Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Vanderhoff, talk about the strains, the variant strains, as they become known now. Um, and the one in particular he discussed was the one labeled as B117, which is the, the U.K. variant of, co- of covid and what he <clears throat> illustrated uh, numerically, which was kind of staggering, was that uh, according to his information, at the beginning of March or about mid-March, they had documented 92 cases of this B117 variant in Ohio. Um, as of yesterday, that number had increased to 797 identified cases, and his prediction was that that number would double about every 10 days. So it just shows you the uh, the rate as which at which this is spreading is is exponential. How how is it spreading? Anything different than what we've been seeing? Well, I, I can only mask wearing, totally. distance, and so forth. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that I think that's some of what it is, Nick. I think you're right on. I think what's happening is as people are seeing more people become vaccinated, and some regulations are being relaxed. Some people have taken that to mean total relaxation. Uh, and whether that's just a misunderstanding of some of the changes or whether that's just a little bit of, you know, desire to get back to normal, maybe ahead of the curve, um, I think that's some of what we're seeing. So we're seeing people, you know, not taking as much care maybe as gathering in groups, um, consistent mask wearing, um, social distancing. So the things that we've been talking about have all been, um, you know, have been these what we have called, if you remember, the non-pharmaceutical interventions, right? All the things we can do to help ourselves in the absence of a vaccine. Um, but I would say at this point, I think we're still pretty far from back to normal. Uh, I think we're, we're encouraged by what we're seeing, but we are still quite a ways away from normal. You know, with uh, several questions coming up with regard to the, the new variant, and uh, when we hear about it, it's called the B117. It's the United Kingdom or the UK variant. 
That, that's coming in. It, it's more, as you mentioned, it's uh, more virulent. It spreads more easily. Uh, but there, there are several groups now that we have to look at. Uh, first off, with regard to the group that's vaccinated with the double-shot vaccinations with uh, Moderna and Pfizer, uh, what kind of risk are they at with regard to the B117? Well, I think I think it's you know, when we look at the efficacy rate. You know, when we've talked about Moderna and Pfizer being in that mid ninety percentile uh, efficacy rate, right, or the success rate at which it can protect you yes. from the vaccine, you still had that five to seven percent margin where you could still get COVID. You were just likely not to get it as severely, and hopefully not end up in the hospital, and you'd experience a mild case. So I would imagine that with the variant, we still run the same risk. I don't know. Uh, I think based on what I've heard Dr. Vanderhoff say, it's not that it's any more um, fatal or deadly, so to speak. It's that it's the transmission of it, which we worry about. It's far more contagious than the initial strain was. So if someone who is fully vaccinated and they've uh, waited 14 days past their second inoculation uh, so that they would have the maximum efficacy rate and they're exposed to the B117 variant, uh, what would happen to them if they had enough of the virus that it would start replicating in that particular individual? Would they feel anything, or might they just be a carrier, or could they be either? You know, Nick, I don't exactly know the answer to that. I think that's a good question for a physician. Um, that is certainly something that I will try to find out so the next time we talk I can have the answer to that. Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, what we have to be careful about, too, is people's idea of, how, whether they should quarantine themselves or they should isolate, right, if they have symptoms, I still I think we're sort of back to that. If you've been vaccinated but you feel that you're having symptoms, which could be similar to something that's COVID-related, then we would advise you to call your healthcare provider or, you know, the simple thing might be to, you know, go to CVS or a Walgreens and get tested um, just to just to have some, some peace of mind about where you're at, just to make sure that you're not suffering from what could be a cold, what could be allergies, right? So when you're fully vaccinated, that changes the landscape, obviously, a little bit. Um, but I think our best advice in the absence of a firm answer for you would be to contact a healthcare provider just for the, the assurance to know where you're at. Question, question I had, and I've been talking to other people about it, is for people who have been vaccinated, if they were to receive a COVID test and um, they were vaccinated but actually weren't experiencing any infectious symptoms, would they still test positive for COVID because of the shots? No, from what we understand, they would not. Um, I don't know the technicalities that, that kind of lead us to that answer, but I do know the answer. What we have heard is that uh, that would not show up. And, and then the next question would – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, to interrupt you. I think the logical thing we would think is that the antibodies, right, would be would be built up, and so it would, it would require a blood test rather than possibly a PCR test to, to actually see if they're positive or not. Would a um, receiving the vaccinations and having the immunity, would that show an antibody test that would be positive? Could you repeat that for me, please? I'm sorry. Just make oh, sure yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, uh, the question, let's say you had your vaccinations, you consider yourself fully vaccinated, uh, and you go for an antibody test. Would it become a positive result just because you had the vaccinations? Or would you have needed to have the actual infection? Okay, so you, so the antibodies would show as being present in your body because that's that's part of the response to the initial infection. 
right? And, and so I think that, yeah, I think I think they would show up, absolutely. So, you know, for those who've been vaccinated, we're now in the uh, getting into the higher numbers, millions of people being vaccinated. Uh, these people, if they were to get an antibody test, we couldn't tell whether they have the antibodies because of the vaccine or because they're actually infected. So, that, <laughs> excuse me, the, the value of that kind of test is, for those people, are, it's not going to be as useful as some of the others. The um, Have there been uh, cases reported where people who have been vaccinated, they've shown serious uh, symptoms from getting the B-17 version of the coronavirus? Uh, we've seen what, what the terminology that they're using for that, Nick, on, on the state level and maybe even the federal level is they're calling them breakthrough cases. So these are people, as you say, who have been vaccinated and are now showing symptoms of COVID nonetheless. And I think in Ohio, the count for that is currently around 50 cases. Well, that's so, low at this point. Let's hope they don't. We don't experience the same uh, exponential increase. The have, correct, uh, right? Oh, my goodness. Now, do we have any more or any better data concerning people who are vaccinated being carriers and spreaders of the virus, even though they show no symptoms? I, I haven't seen anything definitive yet. What I have heard is I've heard some physicians say that they believe if someone's vaccinated that they cannot be asymptomatic, and that's a little contrary to what we in public health understand with other types of viruses. So, again, not being a, a qualified physician, I'd hesitate to answer on that definitively, but I think our assumption as public health professionals is we are assuming even if you have been vaccinated, you have the potential to be an asymptomatic carrier. So that, that begets our advice to keep social distancing, to keep wearing masks, to be very vigilant with hand washing and those things that we've discussed for, for several months now. Oh, we have been. Have we been hearing anything further about uh, the rationale people are using for avoiding or refusing to be vaccinated? Any other uh, concerns that we can address? Well, I think, you know, we, we do have to, to understand that there are people, as you and I have discussed before, who cannot receive the vaccine for whatever, you know, whatever uh, consider considerations they have medically, right? <clears throat> the conversation between them and their physician, you know, determined that they weren't, it was not a good match for them. But by and large, we feel that, you know, everybody uh, should take advantage of it if they can. And I think <clears throat> what we want to try to do as a health department is we've been working to kind of combat those common myths. Um, you know, the, ah. the presumption that there's something else in the vaccine that's being injected into us, that if I'm pregnant, it'll cause my, my child to have deformities, it'll alter my DNA. Now, none of us are, are uh, you know, fortune tellers here, right? So, but what we're going by is the, the evidence and the science and the data accumulated by people with a tremendous amount of scientific and medical expertise. So I think... Okay, well, let's hold, you know, let's, let's hold that thought because we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health about COVID. Uh, he's been a regular guest on The Advocate and keeping us current with what's going on. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate here on WHK. We'll be right back. to another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health concerning COVID and 
what's going on with COVID at, at this time. Kevin, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us. Sure, Nick. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you. Uh, we were talking about uh, what, what's going on with the people taking vaccines, not taking vaccines. Um, it seems like the trend is more and more people are coming over to take the vaccine when it becomes available. Is that what's actually happening or is that just a, an impression? Well, I think what we're finding is the people who had hesitancy at the beginning who said, I want to see what happens to everybody else first, right? We're, we're well beyond that point now. I mean, we started administering vaccine here locally uh, the last week of December. So we're several months into this now. And I think those people have certainly had an opportunity to evaluate the, the condition of other people who have been vaccinated. And then I think, you know, unfortunately, there are there is a, a group of our population that just doesn't believe that, you know, vaccinations are right for them. Uh, for whatever reason. So, um, but I, I think it's starting to level out a little bit. The people who want to get the vaccine, there are certainly opportunities for them to do so. And those who have decided not to, uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how large of a percentage of our population that ends up being. Now, the demographics for people who are testing positive, uh, and, and by the way, with regard to testing, are we still vigorously testing people for COVID or is that slacked off? Well, we're seeing testing numbers go down. Uh, and I think that's in, in part due to the, the high profile of the vaccine efforts, right? I, I think some people, um, you know, are choosing just to move ahead with vaccine rather than waiting to see, you know, if, if they do unfortunately acquire the virus. Um, our testing numbers are down, but what we've seen in terms of testing is both at the nursing home level and the hospital level, we have seen increases in our positivity rate over the past three weeks. Uh, now, to be fair, our rates had gone down quite a bit, and so this past week, our hospital testing positivity rate was at about 5%, um, but our nursing home uh, number is about up to 8.5% now. So, you know, those are still relatively low numbers in comparison to where we had been, but they're still higher numbers than we would like to see, uh, you know, in, in a typical situation. What's the explanation for that if most nursing home uh, residents have been vaccinated? Why is it, why is it even I, there? Where is it coming from? I, I, think, I think it's a couple things. It might be from people who work in those facilities who have decided not to, and it also could be from visitors, right, because visitation has been opened at nursing homes and assisted living. Uh, and then also I think it's because you have a turnover of patients, right? You have new patients coming in. You have new staff members coming in. So that transition, I think, can lead to some uncertainty. Um, so, you know, we, we run this thing from someone's in a facility, they become sick, they go to the hospital, they fortunately get better, they come back, right? And so this re-entry and entry of patients is a difficult situation for those facilities to manage. One, one person I was talking to recently about why they're not getting vaccinated is that uh, he said, He's been listening to a lot of people who are a lot smarter than him who said not to get the vaccine. Uh, who are these people who are uh, basically speaking with some kind of authority saying not to get the vaccine? Well, what I would say is they're not people from the CDC. They're not people from the Ohio Department of Health. They're not people from our agency. I would presume that they're certainly not people from the Cleveland Department of Public Health, right? So I think... I, I would assume not. Right, right. So I think these are probably people, you know, who are listening to sources that they may trust personally, but are not typical public health or, or scientific or medical 
resources as uh, as being as having reliable information. I mean, we see this. You know, unfortunately, you and I have talked many times about the politi- the political impacts of this virus. Yes, and we see people taking people in different different ways based on their particular agendas. And so, um, you know, a lot of what we see when it comes to people being opposed to the vaccine, um, a lot of that does come from uh, from a political perspective. One of the other questions I had was with regard to one of the symptoms and results of COVID, and that is the loss of taste and smell. Uh, I had one woman mention to me the other day that back in December, she had COVID-19 and lost her sense of taste and smell. And her question was, uh, is it ever going to come back, or is this a permanent loss? Have you heard anything about that? Well, we've heard... Or does it depend... And I, and I think it's still undetermined uh, and I, because I think, you know, just from the people I know, I can just tell you, I know more than a handful of people who unfortunately contracted the virus. I know somebody who still has to take a nap every day, right? This person has such fatigue at a certain point in the afternoon that they have to lay down for an hour or two to be able to get through the day, right? I know somebody else who, to, to address your particular point here, lost their sense of taste and smell over six months ago and still hasn't gotten it back. So, uh, you know, And our doctors will say the same thing. Our medical director, Dr. Gullett, has talked about the unfortunate long-lasting impacts of some of these these, uh, side effects from the virus. So, unfortunately, I think it's it's an individual type of reaction. Um, What I will say is, and I don't say this with any sort of scientific authority, I can just tell you what I've seen on television, is a few people have said since they've gotten the vaccination, their side effects have subsided. So it's an interesting thing. I don't know if that's psychosomatic. I don't know if that's really, you know, the way that it is. But, you know, it just kind of adds to the pool of of different reactions and different types of success or failures, unfortunately, that people have had in conquering the side effects. Well, I have noticed from just the people I know who have been vaccinated, there seems to be the removal of a a certain quantity of anxiety about the virus and about uh, day-to-day living after they get fully vaccinated even after the first shot in the two in the two shot uh, regimen so there's at least some semblance of uh, joy out there by getting vaccinated that uh, people can look forward to absolutely i'm thinking another issue that i you talked about hearing things on tv you know we uh, we're thankful that uh, the, the tv news uh, organizations are are putting out a lot of covid information one thing I heard uh, about false claims, tonics and elixirs and things that supposedly can take the place of vaccinations. You can buy this stuff online. Uh, does the Board of Health hear about these things? And uh, do we have a problem going on in the Cuyahoga County area with regard to uh, sort of snake oil type situations out there? You know, we haven't really heard this. Um, it, with any any sort of intensity since the hydroxychloroquine episodes, right, of, of some months ago. Um, once right. that was put to rest and, and, and was was proven to be ineffective and, and not a reliable uh, type of medication for COVID, we really haven't heard a lot of um, stories about people coming up with alternate, as you say, tonics or medications or, or different kinds of things. Um, but this, this, this thing that you mentioned with the Latino community is very interesting because it'll certainly be something that we will research um, to see, you know, where in the country we're seeing this and what kind of reactions, you know, that, 
uh, health departments have had, local media has had. That'll be something very interesting for us to look at. But no, we have not had that with any sort of uh, any sort of intensity, as I as I mentioned. We have not had that here to date. Well, that's good. We don't want uh, you know people to get injured by having other people for money taking advantage of the situation and preying upon people like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. in, in our, our last minute. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, Nick. I don't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to quickly add that what we have seen, though, is that we've seen a lot of scams revolving around registering for a COVID test or a COVID vaccine, whereas people will call and say, hey, give me your Social Security number and I'll get you on a list right away and things like that. So the county's Consumer Affairs Division is aware of several of those type of scams that have been um, perpetrated here over the last several months. Oh, my. Well, buyer beware. So all of us should be aware of that. Uh, For the next 30 days, before we have you back on again, what what do you anticipate happening? We have, like, these two things going on. We have good news with vaccinations, bad news with an increasing infection rate. What do we hope is going to happen in the next four weeks? I kind of think we might be talking about the same thing here in four weeks, Um, just because the strains are so highly contagious compared to the original strain, um, and that if people are, are not, I think, extra diligent about making sure that they're wearing masks and social distancing, and even if people have been vaccinated, you know, we can't take it for granted because you don't always know that, you know, everybody in a group is, uh, is vaccinated or everybody's not from the same household. So there's some different considerations when it comes to that. So unfortunately, I think, I think we're going to be looking at a similar situation. But what I would caution people to do is, Make sure that if you're able to get vaccinated, keep wearing your mask, keep social distancing, keep washing your hands, and just continue to ride this thing out with us. Well, good good advice. Uh, we've been speaking with Kevin Brennan, who is the communication officer for the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, giving us uh, what's turning out to be a monthly update on what's going on with the coronavirus. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, Nick. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. You're you're welcome. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here tonight on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to uh, Christine Groh concerning Medicaid or Medicare choices. I always confuse those. But, uh, Christine, thank you for joining us again to help us understand what's going on with Medicare choices. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Medicare and Medicaid, they sound awfully similar for people out there who are listening and are easily confused between Medicare and Medicaid. What's a simple way to know the difference and, and what are the differences? Sure. The Medicare program is designed for seniors who are age 65 and older, as well as some folks who have certain sorts of illnesses and disabilities, such as end-state renal disease. The Medicaid program is for people who are lower income to help them afford the health care coverage that they need and deserve. One thing that I think is important to know is you can qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid, and those tend to be Americans who are low income and can be some of the uh, sickest uh, people in our communities who just need that additional support and service from the program. So with, with Medicare, is it strictly a matter of age when you qualify for Medicare? 
usually a lot of people uh, will qualify for Medicare because of their age. Um, like I said, there are some illnesses that, that could allow you to qualify, mm-hmm. but generally you think about it as the coverage for people who are age 65 and up. And when you reach the age of 65, you have a choice you can enroll in Medicare coverage through the federal government, or you can choose from a variety of different kinds of Medicare Advantage plans that are offered by health insurance providers. Uh, And these are the kinds of plans that you may be familiar with because you get coverage from them through your employer, through the job of uh, a spouse or someone else in your household. Uh, um, these plans tend to be very popular among uh, seniors because they provide coverage for services that traditional Medicare does not, uh, things like coverage for vision care, for dental care, for prescription drug services, um, as well as some other benefits that people really appreciate, such as enrollment fitness programs and things like that. Now, what is Medicare Advantage? That, that is something in addition to basic Medicare coverage? Yeah, so when you enroll, like I said, when you enroll in Medicare, you have a choice. You can enroll in um, something called Part A, Part B, Part C, Part D. There are a lot of different letters, but to kind of break it down, Medicare Part A, which is available through the federal government, just covers hospitalization services. Medicare Part B covers doctor visits, and Medicare Part C is what's known as Medicare Advantage, and this is the coverage that sort of wraps around to cover all of those services and more. Health insurance providers actually bid uh, with the federal government to be able to provide these plans for seniors, uh, and they have very strict requirements about what benefits are covered and how much those benefits cost. That's why for a lot of folks who enroll in Medicare Advantage, they can get coverage for $0 additional premium uh, above traditional Medicare. So it's becoming a much more popular choice for seniors. Uh, And in the state of Ohio, we see that more than a million people in the state of Ohio have chosen to enroll in Medicare Advantage. When we we talk about Medicare Advantage, is that one insurance company or is that uh, more of a a group that has insurance companies that are part of it, or what actually does Medicare Advantage encompass as far as its organization? Sure. So it's actually plans that are available from any number of different health insurance providers, and they're all competing for your business. Uh, So these can be a a lot of very familiar names from health insurance providers. Um, The key thing to know is that they, you know, these are private market competition plans that know that they have to provide seniors with high quality value and excellent service, or you're just not going to choose them next year when it comes to open enrollment season. What are the premium requirements for some of these Medicare Advantage programs? Is there a a scale of uh, high premiums versus no premiums? How does that work? It can vary, uh, and it will often vary based on your geography and what's available in your market. Um, a lot of Medicare Advantage plans could be available for $0 additional premium, and we're seeing that for a lot of, of plans. The best way to take a look at um, what's available in your market is to go on to what's called Plan Finder. And this is a tool that's available from the federal government 
that allows you to plug in information like your doctor or the medications you're taking or other things that you're looking for in a plan. And it very easily allows you to compare the plans that are available so that you can make a choice that's right for you. That plan finder tool is available at healthcare.gov, and it's an important resource for a lot of seniors making choices about their care. This is such a mystery because as we age and as you get uh, into that mid-60s range and you're slowing down perhaps, uh, that's when all these questions start popping up and all of the terminology is coming at uh, at people. Uh, so, for example, we talk about Medicare Advantage actually describing a number of different providers. We run into the term supplements. You have Medicare supplement. Is this the same thing or is this something different? You're absolutely right. Medicare supplement is actually different sorts of coverage. Um, and there are a lot of different flavors of Medicare supplement. Medicare supplement sort of kind of bolts on to Part A and B uh, to provide different sorts of services. So we see some seniors who will choose Medicare supplement versus Medicare Advantage versus traditional Medicare. I think the key thing for folks to know is there are a lot of choices available to you that allow you to choose coverage at a price point that you're comfortable with. And uh, if you are looking for someone to help guide you through those choices, there are a lot of different resources available to you. Um, you can go to healthcare.gov and they provide a lot of important resources. You can go to a health insurance broker in your, uh, in your community who can help walk through your situation and what might be right for you. Or you can call a health insurance provider that you're familiar with. Say you have uh, an insurance provider that you currently get your employer coverage through at your job. If you like that coverage and you want to know if they can continue to cover you with a Medicare Advantage plan, you can always call them up and they can walk through their that your options with you to see what, what makes the best sense for you. Now, uh, when someone turns 65 and they qualify for Medicare generally, uh, is, I, I think, is there, and you can confirm this, is there a monthly charge taken out of their benefits from basic Social Security to pay for Medicare? So you do have to sign up for Medicare um, in order to get the benefits, um, but it's important for folks to know that if you choose not to sign up for Medicare, there are certain kinds of penalties that, that would come into play there. Um, you know, again, the way that, that that is paid for and all how all of that how that works, it might be best to go to healthcare.gov for for your listeners or to go to a broker to see you know how that would work for your specific situation. Sounds complicated. Uh, when when someone decides to sign up for Medicare because of age and participation in Social Security and all of that, uh, they have a choice to go with. But Medicare uh, Advantage or Medicare Part C, and that takes care of everything at that point? That Yeah, Medicare Advantage plans do cover a lot of benefits that traditional Medicare does not and that may be a better value than some Medicare supplement plans. But again, it really depends on an individual situation. I, I do recognize that some folks can feel that it, it could feel a little bit complicated, but you know, it's really about choices and the number of choices that people have. 
you know, I think one of the constants that people will see is that these are high quality plans because they are carefully administered by the federal government to ensure that they are um, providing networks that are highly valuable and include lots of doctors and hospitals um, that are available at a very competitive price point that provide a lot of additional uh, valuable services that people like. So these are really attractive programs for a lot of folks. Well, as people navigate through this area, we're going to be taking a short break in a moment. Uh, We're talking to Christine Grove with the Coalition of Medicare Choices, and she's explaining to us the ins and outs of Medicare and Medicare Choices and um, Medicare Advantage as we go through. When we come back, we're going to talk to Christine about uh, COVID and how COVID-19 has uh, impacted the entire structure and what we can do about it. So we'll take a short break. We're talking to Christine Grove from the Coalition of Medicare Choices. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us, as always. And with us tonight is Christine Grove from the Coalition of Medicare Choices, talking about Medicare Advantage and helping us understand the ins and outs of Medicare coverage for all of us who are over 65. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you very much for having me today. And, you know, we said again, because you, you were on, I think, last year when we were starting this whole COVID thing earlier. Yeah, it was last year. <laughs> 2020, COVID has really sort of changed all of our lives. I think this will be something that hopefully when we all get through it, we'll look back at 2020 as being a most bizarre experience that we've all had. But uh, since you have been on last time talking about Medicare Advantage and Medicare and coverage, we've had a lot uh, happen. We've had the COVID virus continue to spread unprecedented numbers. Uh, of infections and deaths in this country. Uh, also, we've had the, the creation of the vaccines that are still in progress, trying to bring us to an end of this basic nightmare that we're experiencing. Uh, how has COVID-19, how has that uh, affected Medicare Advantage plans during this time, during this last year, since we talked about last? Anything happen? There's been a I, lot I say of say rhetorically. Action. <laughs> right. There's been a lot that's been happening over the past year. When the pandemic started, the health insurance providers that offer Medicare Advantage came together and made a commitment. And that commitment was that no American should hesitate to seek uh, COVID-19 testing or treatment or a vaccine because of concerns about cost. So since then, they've been doing a lot of work to waive out-of-pocket costs or any other costs that a patient would have to pay to get a test for COVID-19 that a doctor thinks that they need uh, to cover all of the treatments that someone may need who is sick with COVID-19. And now they're covering the cost of getting a vaccine. In fact, in a lot of communities and in our hardest-hit communities, Health insurance providers have come together to uh, create what's called the Vaccine Community Connectors Program. And this program, at least in the initial phase, is 
aiming to get vaccines into the arms of 2 million Americans, especially in black and brown communities that are most uh, urgently and direly hit by the disease. Health insurance providers are reaching out to those seniors right now because that's who's eligible for the vaccine uh, to ensure they have the information they need about vaccines, to educate them on vaccines and the science behind them, to help them make an appointment, and if they are struggling to get to an appointment, help to break down those barriers, whether that's transportation to get you to a vaccine appointment or to get a vaccine to you if you're a homebound individual Um, There's been a lot of action there. In addition, health insurance providers have been working in their communities with community leaders to help safety net hospitals keep their doors open, to help support small businesses, to provide support for food banks and to housing organizations, anything that they can do to help Americans in their communities stay stay working and uh, working together to overcome the COVID-19 crisis. From your from your standpoint, how are we coming? If if we were able to say that we had 100% to still go to get out of the COVID-19 dilemma, uh, what percentage have we completed and how much do we have to go before we can get back to uh, normal medical life? We're seeing a lot of reason for optimism. Uh, recent reports just as of this morning are showing that about one in five Americans has received a vaccine so far. And according to the research that's being done, more and more Americans are becoming accepting of a vaccine and wanting to get a vaccine when they're able to get an appointment. So um, I think folks are really rallying around helping people understand the science and the rigor that goes behind the vaccines and getting vaccines into communities as quickly as possible so that they can get into arms and help to build that immunity so that we can all get back to the moments that we miss. Um, We're really excited to see the timelines escalate uh, for when vaccines will be available for everyone. So it's just a matter of getting those shots into arms and helping people get the access that they need so that we can get back to, um, you know, things like birthday parties and picnics and gatherings and uh, back to work if we need to go into an office for a work environment. You know, all of those things are, are coming closer and closer with every day. All all that, uh, you know, sort of puts the spotlight on the population who you serve because everyone over 65 tends to be part of that population that represents about 87%, I think, was the last percentage I heard of people who either died from COVID uh, or had serious hospital stays because of COVID. Uh, So you're representing the population that's most impacted by COVID. So if if we get out of this, which looks like we are, uh, that's a good thing. Are most seniors going along with the vaccination process or are we seeing a resistance there like in some political demographic groups? We are seeing more people becoming accepting of the vaccine, but we are still seeing concerns being raised among folks. And it, it tends to fall uh, along a lot of different lines, one one difference that we're seeing that we're worried about is the political division. Um, people who tend to identify as Republican may still be skeptical about the vaccine. Um, so that is one population that we are all paying very close attention to, to see 
you know, where they stand, what their position is, and meet them where they are. You know, what questions do they have? What data would be helpful for them as they're making up their minds? How can we help them overcome any concerns that they have? Because everyone deserves to be protected from COVID-19. COVID-19, as you know, has had some very dire results. We have more than half a million Americans who have died from this virus, and we want to make sure that everybody is protected. Well, that's true. Well, the science on, on the validity and efficacy of the vaccines is, is heavily weighted. It's very, it's overwhelmingly explanatory as far as why it is a good thing. I mean, if if this were meningitis we're talking about, people and if they could get a vaccine for that, there there would be no hesitancy in, in doing that. Uh, but you know, we're talking about COVID that's been politicized. What are some of the questions? And more importantly, what are some of the answers to those questions? Do you give people who are genuinely uh, considering not getting the vaccine because of what they're hearing about it? Yeah, so a lot of folks, and and you are right, I think we've seen a lot of concerns about the politicization of the process over um, the course of last year in particular. Right now, I think what we're looking at is, you know, people are are worried about how quickly the vaccines have been developed. And that is a good thing. Um, While they have been fast, this is actually an American success story in how fast the private sector has been able to pull together and how the federal government really positioned the private market to escalate these vaccines and their availability and their emergency use. Um, Everything that we have seen demonstrates that these vaccines are safe and they are effective. Um, We have seen some concerns among people who may be wishing to have a baby at some point about whether it would be safe for them. Um, There is not any data at this time that shows that it would not be safe for mothers or expectant mothers, so we're encouraging people to receive it there as well. Um, but there are, I think there are a lot of misperceptions about the vaccine and, you know, all the data is showing it's safe, it's effective for everyone. Um, even the data is showing that children can uh, get these vaccines safely. So we encourage people to continue to follow the science and, um, you know, even listen to folks in their community who are getting the vaccine to understand what their experience has been and make a decision that's right for them. Well, I suppose the conversions are are slow, but they're coming, and the percentage of people who actually are going to be getting the vaccines uh, will be continuing to increase. Well, especially, again, going with the people 65 and over, uh, I I think that uh, most of those people are are getting the vaccinations, and I think we're seeing a a decrease in the death rates and hospitalizations. So uh, the people who are getting hospitalized and treated now who are younger uh, if they're successful in, in surviving the pandemic, they'll be uh, qualifying for Medicare in the future, hopefully, and uh, take advantage of Medicare choices and Medicare Advantage. The um, situation, real quick, we have about a minute, uh, is that there are some issues going on with uh, telehealth appointments that uh, have sort of come out since everyone has been locked down many times because of COVID. Uh, tell us what's been happening briefly with regard to telehealth and what's happening with uh, any new laws that we can look forward to seeing. This is actually a really exciting area where we can take a look at what we've learned during the pandemic and use that for improved health care on an ongoing basis. 
as people became very concerned about going to their doctor in person uh, because they were afraid they would um, perhaps contract COVID-19 while they were in the doctor's office, more health insurance providers began to offer telehealth services so that you could see your doctor by video conference or something else. And, And the federal government deserves a lot of credit because they allowed for the flexibility for Medicare Advantage plans to cover those virtual visits and those telehealth visits. We have seen that patients and doctors alike really like the convenience of telehealth and the safety of telehealth. Um, But one thing that sort of got left behind is seniors who still want to connect with their doctor virtually but don't have access to video or virtual services. All they may have is a phone. So right now we have some legislation that's been introduced that will allow a telephone call to count as a telehealth visit for Medicare Advantage. And that will just provide greater access and better coverage and care for seniors, particularly in rural areas that might not have broadband access or a lot of infrastructure to support virtual health care. We think mm-hmm. that this is a, a great introduction and we're looking forward to expanding telehealth in the future. Well, outstanding. Well, we're on the right track. Things are getting better. So uh, I'd like to th- uh, thank Christine Grove from the Coalition for Medicare Choices to Uh, give us some information about what's going on with Medicare and uh, how we're going to get through the pandemic. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, safe, and healthy week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea 